FBI Radio. Down to Earth with Kurt Iverson, who's sitting across from me. Thanks for coming in. Ready? How are you? Very good. Very good. Um, I'm excited about what we're talking about today. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about, and specifically, working off the books. What kind of significance does it have for everyday urban life in a city like Sydney? What's it like to work in the so-called informal economy? And what, if anything, should we be doing about it? What's got you thinking about this, Kurt? Yeah, well, look, I've, me and a bunch of students that I work with up at Sydney Uni, so um, shout-outs to Craig and uh, Steph and Sarah. We've just actually published some research we've been doing about the kind of informal sector in Sydney and other Australian cities, right? And um, all the stuff that goes on in our cities that flies under the radar of the law and of regulation and stuff, um, it's such a big part of everyday life in a city like Sydney, but like just gets ignored a lot of the time. So uh, we talk about a whole bunch of things in that research from like food foraging and like informal music venues. But one of the things we talk about is informal work. And I figured it'd be a good thing to talk about today, given how much of it's going on all around us and how our city would just completely collapse in a heap without it. Yeah, I'm sure there's a few listeners out there that are getting mm-hmm. paid off the books. Let yep. us know if your job's in cash. Um, get at us so we can we can dissect the situation. Tell but us all about you, it. Yeah, That's right. exactly. And you're saying that it's a big thing in a city like Sydney. Well, yeah. So, look, it's huge. And so even though we talk about the city and its economy with a whole bunch of statistics about, you know, employment and wages and all that sort of stuff, um, what we know is that, the urban economy in a big city like Sydney is just so much bigger than what gets captured in the sort of statistics and in the formal regulated sector. And like I say, like um, if you took away all the off the books, informal kind of cash in hand work that's going on in this town, um, it just keeps the place ticking in so many different ways, right? So many different aspects of our lives. So what kind of jobs are we talking about then? Yeah, yeah. So look, I guess there's a few different categories of this kind of off-the-books cash-in-hand work. Um, one of them is seems a bit more innocent maybe or something. I don't know. It's like independent arrangements between a couple of individuals for some kind of service or some kind of you know good or whatever that's been made in the city. So we could think here of a bunch of situations where maybe... I don't know, somebody's paying a local teenager to pick up their little kids after school because they're busy at work and to make some raisin toast for them in the afternoon until, you know, dad or mum gets home. Um, Maybe they're paying, again, somebody locally to cut their grass on the weekend, whatever it happens to be. So all that kind of stuff is going on. And if you think about those arrangements, like the people who are paying for the service probably don't think about themselves as like employers or companies, right? They're just people um, uh, who want something done and along comes somebody who's prepared to do it for them. So those folks come to this kind of informal arrangement where a bit of money will change hands in some way um, for a service that gets provided. I feel like that happens a lot in the art sector. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it all sounds very innocent. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like um, in lots of those arrangements, everybody's happy, you know, Um but the line between sort of everybody's happy and exploitation, and if, you know, if we talk about the art sector, uh, maybe things can slide from that kind of arrangement into something that um, seems a bit less innocent. Um, and so even in those arrangements that we were just talking about, so it's not just like, oh, happy, friendly people doing each other favours. Like 
lots of people have structured their lives around these kind of arrangements. And as, as I say, they couldn't keep doing what they're doing without it, right? So um, for lots of people, their participation, maybe in the formal economy, if they're out there working full time, say, is supported by this whole informal economy that comes along of people who are doing the stuff that they sort of don't have time to do because they're busy working mm. their 80 hour weeks doing whatever it is mm. they're, they're doing. So, you know, the lack of services around it, the lack of time that they have. And so this informal economy kind of, you know, picks up the slack, gets things, gets houses clean, gets meals cooked, gets kids looked after, um, gets gardens looked after, all that sort of stuff. Um and like, you know, even that, you know, I used the image of a kind of, you know, local teenager picking up a bit of work, but even those kind of arrangements, more and more we're seeing it's not just like teenagers picking up some pocket money. This is people's livelihoods that are doing that work as well. They're sort of dependent on those arrangements to survive as well, if they're maybe uni students or whatever it happens to be, right? And I'm sure those people that have those arrangements already have one or even two jobs. And if they were to get a third, they'd be taxed. Yeah insanely and they're already they're in a tax threshold which they are getting taxed the same as someone who's making probably thirty thousand dollars more than them a year yeah and that can be get really tricky because as you say like the way that this works around all those laws is like with that stuff say as you say you know technically speaking if you're earning up to the tax-free threshold Mm. you sort of you know you don't have to declare it and pay tax but as you say when people are coming up to the borderline there um, you know, sometimes they're evading tax by entering into these arrangements. They're definitely, if you think about the people that are paying for it, they're avoiding all these laws about minimum wages or health and safety, all that sort of all that sort of gear. Uh, speaking of which, uh, there's some parts of this cash economy that are much more exploitative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. And we're hearing heaps more um, in Sydney recently and in other cities about people who are companies and employers in a much more conventional sense but you know they might be bar they might be shops they might be builders um, and they're also employing people especially young people um, off the books to get away with paying them less or to get away with evading their obligations to look after health and safety and insurance and all that sort of stuff so you know I'm sure there'll be people listening out there who've like applied for a job and been told, for instance, that, hey, maybe you could do a couple of weeks work for nothing for me just to see how you go. So we're hearing all this stuff about just these dodgy trial periods that, again, it's just people working for nothing, much less for cash in hand. But then even if you then get a gig, finding yourself working for cash in a kind of off-the-books arrangement that is like outside of all of these regulations. So there's a guy, another guy up at Sydney Uni, Steve Clibben, who's done a big survey of a thousand students in Sydney and like the statistics that he's found there, it just, it's fully alarming, right? So 43% of local students working as waiters were being paid below legal wages. And for international students in Mm. that gig, 87% of the people that he surveyed, and it was like over a thousand were being paid less than minimum wage. I was going to say, um, Surely, yes, there's a lot of students, university students that are doing jobs that are off the books, but I believe that they, with their education, have a chance to then get themselves set up for jobs with proper mm-hmm. security and all the rest of it. But I believe there's, there'd be an underclass in Sydney full of like 
immigrants to our country that are just constantly living in that world of off the books yeah. and being paid not minimum wage. Yep, yep. And as you say, like, so this is the thing about those gigs that, yeah, Steve's survey was just with students. But as you say, if you actually look at the workplace, then we're seeing a really interesting and, again, troubling mix of folks, right? As you say, sometimes it's students supplementing their income. And again, trying to even be a student in this town can be no joke at the time if you're trying to pay rent, blah, blah, blah. But as you're saying, just also people that get trapped in that sector um, who are, you know, either um, sometimes, you know, have been unemployed for long periods and this is the only way that mm. they can supplement like New Start, which is just terrible. Or, as you say, people particularly um, recently arrived immigrants, many of whom actually, depending on their migra- migration status, actually aren't entitled to work in the formal economy and they don't have entitlements to social security, but they're here. So what else are they going to do? Exactly. Right? Uh, they become incredibly vulnerable to this kind of exploitation. Um, and so, yeah, whether that be international students or, as you say, recently arrived migrants or people seeking asylum, there's all sorts of categories of folks that get stuck in this unbelievable, vulnerable cycle of uh, working off the books. It's quite dark. Oh, I know. <laughs> and it's not just underpayment and wage theft that's an issue in the informal economy right yeah well this is it so as you say we can look at the fact that lots of these folks as we're finding out whether it be you know people at even big businesses like 7-eleven as we found out last year or others that are getting underpaid and getting wages stolen but yeah you know if they have an accident at work are they insured um if their boss like you know again the gender politics in some of these workplaces are just horrendous if people just basically you know uh yeah, engaging in all sorts of horrendously unequal power relationships with folks and exploiting them um, in all sorts of ways and threatening that if you complain about anything that I do, if you complain about me patting you on the ass or whatever it happens to mm-hmm. be, then, you know, you're out of here. Like, so all the kind of subsequent uneven power relationships and exploitation that can go on in these sectors and just people getting kicked off jobs with a moment's notice, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Darker and darker. <laughs> We're going to bring some light We're after the break. We're getting all the way down to earth. <laughs> The dark side of it. All right. We're going to play a song. While it's on, text in with your stories from the informal economy. We promise to keep it anonymous. We'd be interested to hear your experiences. So 0409-945-945. We just asked you to text in while that song was playing on 0409-945-945 and tell us about some jobs that you've been doing or know of that are are in the informal economy, so getting paid off the books. And we've got someone who's messaging in saying, I know a lot of tradies who get cash payments all the time. And then I've got another text that's just come through saying, so many times I have been refused to be paid for overtime as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, makes me cranky. <laughs> the unionist in me gets super angry about some of this stuff as well. And like we didn't haven't talked much about tradies, but it's a really good point mm. that um you know that's probably at the other end of the spectrum to some of the stories we were talking about before the break, right? Where exactly. actually folks who were doing okay but just trying to avoid some tax obligations or something. So this is the whole thing that uh, you know from a research perspective for me as an academic, but also just from a policy perspective is super interesting here, which is there's a real spectrum of these things, right? From the unbelievably precarious, vulnerable, exploited end through to the hobby, do-it-yourself, informal arrangements end through to the, you know, 
millionaire tradies who are getting away with it and it's like everything in between, you know? Exactly. And I feel like a lot of the time um, most people wouldn't come together and talk about these things as they'd be scared to lose said jobs. So that is another power that's being held over them. Yeah. And so, as you say, it's a real barrier to A, even understanding the extent of it and B, to doing something about it. Because actually, if we're trying to figure out, is this getting more common or less common? It's like, well, who the hell knows? Because as you say, nobody really wants to talk about it because if they talk about it, then um, they might lose it. So it's just really hard to know how much of this stuff is going on. Actually, but like the, you know, the stuff that Steve Cleveland's doing, the stuff that we've done, you know, it seems to be suggesting that some of this stuff is, it's definitely not going away. It seems to be kind of on the rise. What might explain that then? Well, yeah. And that's the thing. If you, there's a few different explanations. Like one is just looking at the way that the kind of jobs in our city have changed over the last three or four decades that, you know, there would have been a lot more kind of entry level jobs in manufacturing and other industries that, um, you know, weren't super duper high paid, but were kind of solid, stable, secure jobs. And so when we see those jobs disappear, then we see the growth of these other jobs like right up the high end. You're kind of professionals working in the CBD, doing the crazy hours and earning the crazy money. No jobs in the middle. And it's kind of like almost the people at the top have got no time and heaps of money. And the people at the bottom have got no job opportunities and need the money. And so that's partly how we start to see a bunch of these informal arrangements start to take shape. And then same, you know, we see bars and restaurants popping up trying to service the people with the money and they can't afford to, you know, pay proper wages for people. Maybe they think if they're hanging on to a, you know, thin line between profit and loss, so then they start entering into these arrangements, you know, da-da-da, it's just all that stuff going on. It's an interesting time as we see a complete reconstruction of the economy in all cities around the world. Usually you'd have a huge workforce, all like you were saying, all on the same page. Mm. And now there's just disparities all over. And if there's a big workforce all thinking the same things, they're all going to be asking the same questions. Yep, yep. That's exactly it. And then like in terms of what you're saying about the changes, I think the other change is just the technology stuff that's sort of facilitating a lot more of these arrangements, right? So you just think about these platforms like Airtasker and then all your kind of food delivery apps and blah, 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 where actually, you know, technically speaking, these people are being told they're not employees. They're just entering into business arrangements with other people. But, you know... Oh, again, we're hearing all these stories about when you actually add up what a wage is for somebody who's a delivery rider or heaps of people that are doing these gigs through Airtasker, they're coming nowhere close to minimum wage, some mm. of them, you know. Yes, yes, indeedy. <laughs> um, so it's a changing t- economy, it's technology. Anything else you've found in this research? Yeah, well, it's kind of like what you alluded to before, but I just think that immigration stuff is the other key thing, right? Um, All the rules that we're putting around people's rights to work um, on different categories of visa, and um, whether that be student visas, travel visas, blah, 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 um, as well as kind of residency visas. But so that really pushes some people into the informal economy because if you can't work and you've got no rights to social security or very limited rights, then you've got to eat. So you've got to pay the rent. So you're going to end up there. And part of the other research we did that we won't get into now, but like just to add some like layers of depressing shit on top of what we've <laughs> already done is that heaps of those people find themselves in these really dodgy informal housing arrangements too with like 
ratbag landlords that are squeezing millions yeah. of people into a room. And so it's just all that vulnerability can sort of pile up on folks. Oh. I've just got one more one more text and then we'll get to the last question. Yeah, yeah, go. I've got someone saying, you're missing the biggest informal industries, drug dealing and sex work. Yeah. Well, so they are both big um, and they also tell us something really interesting about the informal economy, right, which is that sometimes the things that are traded in the informal economy aren't illegal, but it's the way that the work is organised that's kind of off the books. Mm. So if you think about the childcare or even if you think about um, sex work, you know, it's not illegal to do that stuff, right? Um, But then, you know, you can set up proper businesses to do it that are in the formal economy, but then if people are doing it off the books, then it's kind of informal work. Whereas the drug dealing thing, that crosses a line not just over informality, but into criminality, right? So technically speaking, the people that are trading drugs are also trading an illicit good. So it's not that they're organising lawn mowing or selling muffins, right? Um, They've crossed over not only into sort of informal economy stuff, but into like straight up illegality. Um, And so there's a kind of continuum there as well of like what's being bought and sold. Mm. Um, And what's interesting about heaps of the informality stuff for me is not just the criminal stuff that's being bought and sold, but stuff that's really not criminal. It's just the way it's been organised. It's off the books, you know? Exactly. We're at the end of it. Yeah. Almost. And um, I wanted to ask you, as we do at the end of every Down to Earth, what can we do about it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and this is a really hard one. I mean, you know, so if you think about what workers have done historically, we just talked about this before we started today, right? What have they done? They've formed unions. They've got taken collective action to try and, like, enforce their rights um, about work. And actually... The union movement finally is starting to grapple with some of this stuff. So Unions New South Wales, for instance, have been doing all these surveys about off-the-books work um, in migrant communities and reporting dodgy employers to the Fair Work Ombudsman and getting some traction there. They've done a deal with Airtasker to get Airtasker to at least post what should be the minimum uh, rates for different jobs that are being advertised on their platform. So even though Airtasker is refusing to enforce that, at least they're telling people this is what you should be doing. The Transport Workers Union has their Rights for Riders campaign going on where they're actually signing up people that are like Uber drivers and delivery riders and stuff like that. There's a young workers centre in Melbourne that is absolutely kicking ass about wage theft and they're just holding picket lines outside restaurants that are stealing wages from people. And so actually we're starting to see like some good collective action. And it's not easy because as you were saying before, like the trouble if we shut some of these employers down is that we're stopping exploitation, but we're also stopping people who depend on that for a source of income. So we've got to be fighting about social security and migration stuff as well as fighting about wages all at the same time because that's what's pushing people into those gigs in the first place. I think it's an interesting time, especially for all the young listeners to get engaged. I feel like we've been uh, very lucky very and privy to all these rights that were mm-hmm. fought for us before our time, before we entered the workforce. So don't really know what life is like without them. And as they're slowly being to- taken away, I feel like people are quite apathetic because they don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's it. So you're right. Like we've got to actually, we've got to keep having those same fights over and over again. And, you know, at least on uni campuses, like just to give it a plug, but I think 
Sometime later in September, we're having a union day on campus at Sydney Uni. We're just a bunch of unions that actually work in these sectors are going to be having stalls just to say to people, hey. But as you say, it's not just students that are caught up in this. There's heaps more people. But like, yeah, we've got to all of us get back and think about what collective action is going to look like in this space. Kurt. Plug. Oh, Another yeah. plug, please. Before, before, <laughs> that's right. So before I finish, um, so me and a whole bunch of fun urban research students and academics at Sydney Uni have just actually, we've got a, all this stuff that we talk about every time on Down to Earth about housing and transport and public space and blah, blah, blah. We've actually just got our cranky on and written a whole bunch of like short form articles about what's going on in Sydney and other cities around the world. It's called Sydney We Need to Talk, the book. It's coming out next week. It's been gloriously produced by Minigraph and it's got cool illustrations and posters and everything. And so um, we're launching it as part of the Festival of Urbanism at Sydney Uni next week um, on Tuesday at 12 o'clock. So if you want to come on down and like Vanessa Berry, who wrote that awesome book, Mirror Sydney, is going to be launching it for us. Um, you should come on down, that say sounds, hello. Sounds very exciting. Yeah, um, and in fact, that whole festival of urbanism going on at Sydney, Sydney Uni next week, there's a bunch of cool talks about city stuff. So you can there's a website that's just like festivalofurbanism.org, I think. Go check it out. A All very cool contextual. There's a crane on every corner. Oh, yeah, totally. There's, there's cranes in the illustrations in our book. Cranes yeah. everywhere. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to drop the information for the Festival of Urbanism and that book launch on our programs page. And Kurt, no, you're not back with us in a fortnight. Someone yeah, else is in. Yeah, no, I got, I'm going to be here September. I'm doing away October. So I'll be back in a fortnight. You haven't got rid of me <laughs> yet. <laughs> All righty. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for coming in. Easy. Thanks, Eddie. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.